The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia for this Tuesday, June 27th in Hong Kong, Monday, June 26th in New York. And coming up today, U.S. mega cap shares slide as the end of the second quarter approaches. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is said to be planning a visit to Beijing for high-level economic talks. And China's natural gas company ENN signs a 20-year liquefied natural gas deal with Chenier Energy. Both Prigozhin and Putin break their silence. President Biden says the U.S. had nothing to do with what happened in Russia. North Korea holding its largest anti-U.S. rally in years. I'm Dan Schwartzman. I'll have your news coming up. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, the business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Available on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Brian Curtis. Here are the stories we're following today. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is said to be planning a visit to Beijing next month, as we mentioned in our headlines. Let's get the story now from Bloomberg's Joanne Wong in Hong Kong. The trip was long anticipated, but was postponed until what Yellen said would be a more appropriate time. It would seem that time is now. The visit would include a high-level meeting with her counterpart, Vice Premier He Feng. If the trip is confirmed, Yellen would be the second top U.S. official to visit Beijing since U.S.-China relations soured earlier in the year. Secretary of State Antony Blinken just wrapped up his trip to China. Meanwhile, a Biden administration executive order will likely come through as soon as July. That order would potentially cut off certain U.S. investments in China. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. A Chinese natural gas company has signed a new long-term agreement to buy liquefied natural gas from the U.S. energy firm Chenier Energy. We have more from Bloomberg's Baniaoi in Hong Kong. China's ENN Energy has agreed to buy 1.8 million tonnes of LNG per year for at least 20 years. Chenier will begin supplying the gas in mid-2026, and the level will rise to just under a million tonnes per year in 2027. The remaining amount will be subject to Chenier's final investment decision on its massive Sabine Pass expansion. The expansion is due to start by the end of the decade. This deal is the latest in a series of agreements between Chinese buyers and LNG producers. ENN itself signed two deals with other U.S. developers after Russia invaded Ukraine in 2022. China has been expanding its natural gas consumption through a growing network of pipelines and import terminals. In Hong Kong, I'm Bonnie L. Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. 
Meantime, Japan's government has unveiled a $6.3 billion deal to buy out and privatize the company JSR. as government-backed Japan Investment Corporation. It plans to offer shareholders $30.40 a share in a tender offer around December. Controlling JSR would allow Japan to raise its own profile as a chip supplier. Many of JSR's materials are needed to make semiconductors used in supercomputers, AI harnessing data centers, and missile control systems. The deal could put Japan in a better position to take on its global rivals as competition over technology intensifies. JSR shares surged as much as 22% yesterday after the Nikkei had reported on the deal. IBM will buy the software company Aptio from the private equity firm Vista Equity Partners. This is an all-cash transaction. It's valued at $4.6 billion, and it marks the seventh acquisition this year for IBM. By the way, it's expected to close in the latter half of this year, and it comes as IBM CEO Arvind Krishna pushes the company's transformation into a hybrid cloud and artificial intelligence business. We had the chance to speak to the chief commercial officer, Rob Thomas. He tells us Aptio will help IBM's push into automation. Think of Aptio as a virtual command center to understand your technology spend, your cloud spend, and your labor spend. I would say timing's everything. Is there a better time to have software that can do that type of analysis? I don't think so. Every company is thinking about how do I optimize my spend on technology, reduce complexity? I think this is perfect time for what's happening in the market. And we had shares in IBM finishing up 1% today in the regular session. Brian? Well, Goldman Sachs is tapping a prominent alum for its board. It comes at a time when discontent in the firm's ranks has spilled over into public view. We get the story from Bloomberg's Ann Cates. Goldman Sachs is bringing on Tom Montag, who is seen as an ally of CEO David Solomon. Montag rose to second-in-command at Bank of America after leaving Goldman 15 years ago. According to Bloomberg, frustrations within Goldman have become increasingly public after Solomon's push to expand into consumer banking gave way to missed deadlines and blown financial targets for the unit before reversing course and unwinding the effort last year. Now Goldman's elite partners and others are seeking more accountability. In Washington, Ann Cates, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Rashad Salamat and Doug Krisner. So, Doug, a little more churn in the marketplace today um, with more rotation from the narrow band to the wider band uh, with energy, real estate, industrials, materials, all rallying one to two percent in a in a down tape. Now, you wonder, I mean, that's good. That would seem to be good for the overall health of the market. But how sustainable is it going to those types of companies if the economy is indeed slowing? Good thing that you mentioned weakness because I was looking today at the Dallas Fed's manufacturing index for the state of Texas. It was down for a second straight month in June. Now, we saw last week, Brian, uh, the PMI data here in the U.S. on the weak side, and we're looking for a PMI data at the end of the week for China. And I think one of the things we've been talking a lot about is the slowing of the global economy. It's showing up in the oil market, too. Even with a lot of this uh, political stuff that we've been talking about as it relates to Russia, crude oil is still below $70 a barrel. That's WTI. Yeah, it doesn't look all that great going forward. Uh, And you do have these bears still kind of... um you know, chipping away at things. Uh, you mentioned J.P. Morgan talking about a 5% correction. Uh, that's just really a, a rebalancing story. And then the Mike Wilson risks have rarely been higher line seems kind of odd. He's actually just calling for a 10% correction, which is 
really pretty much a garden variety type. Um, and, uh, you know, you wonder whether or not it's really worth getting all that excited. You know, NVIDIA, it just seems like it goes up and up and up and up, right? Well, no, it's down almost 7.5% from its high, but we barely noticed because, you know, <laughs> 7 to 10% is not really that big of a deal. But Mike Wilson, I mean, his reputation's on the line. He's been calling for a correction all year. Well, then the wild card, I think, is the Fed, right? And Powell last week saying that maybe another 50 basis points of tightening is in the pipeline. That brings us to what we're going to get at the end of the week with... With the uh, preferred um, measure of inflation for the Fed, we'll get the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index for the month of May. And this is going to be key, particularly when you look at food and energy. If you take those out, I mean, we've been looking at elevated levels recently. Yes, maybe uh, a bit lower relative to where we were a year ago, but things are still far uh, away from the Fed's 2% goal. Mm, yeah. Lots to talk about with our guest, Tom Plum, coming up, portfolio manager of the Plum Balanced Fund. We can also talk a little bit about the Chenier natural gas to China story and also the Janet Yellen. Uh, again, as you mentioned earlier, it's not confirmed yet, but it seems like it could be coming next month. So that all sets up as very interesting. We'll get to Tom Plum in a few moments, but now it's time for Global News. Well, Vladimir Putin and uh, Mr. Prigozhin finally speak out. Uh, this is quite interesting on this Russian revolt. Dan Schwartzman with details from New York. Dan? Yeah, Brian, we know that uh, they had not spoken yet about the situation that occurred in Russia over the weekend, but we finally heard from Wagner mercenary group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin, as well as, of course, Russian President Vladimir Putin. This after the mercenary group kind of took over the Russian city of Rostov, as well as had, uh, sending an armored column to within 125 miles of Moscow. Now, Prigozhin says he was not trying to remove Putin from power, but was looking to hold those accountable for the mistakes made in the war in Ukraine. In the 11-minute audio message on the Telegram channel, Prigozhin also saying he was preventing the destruction of his mercenary force by state officials. Putin, on the other hand, was addressing the, na the nation earlier today. He says that the organizers of the insurrection were trying to divide the government and were traitors. Putin also saying his government took all necessary steps to neutralize the danger and that Wagner troops could either join the Russian army or go to Belarus with its leader. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller, though, says Wagner is as well a bad actor. Wherever we've seen Wagner operate in the past, we've seen death and destruction follow in their wake. And we have instituted a series of policies to hold them accountable and to, to counter Wagner's influence. And to the extent Wagner continues to operate in Africa or in Ukraine or anywhere else in the world or any Wagner successor organizations uh, pick up the mantle that Wagner has carried, we will continue to take actions to hold either Wagner or their successor accountable. One of the largest anti-U.S. rallies taking place in North Korea as a country marked the 73rd anniversary of the start of the Korean War. Over 100,000 people gathered at the May Day Stadium in Pyongyang, pledging to, quote, pulverize the American empire, while speakers called for the, quote, annihilation of the U.S. imperialists. The gathering was considered the largest since 2017. Anderson Lee Aldrich has pleaded guilty in Colorado to five first-degree murder counts as well as 46 counts of attempted murder for shooting up a gay nightclub in Colorado. Colorado Springs back in November of 2022. The 23-year-old was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Aldrich wore body armor and was armed with both a rifle and a handgun and opened fire at LGBT nightclub Club Q before being stopped by patrons at the club. Former Colorado Springs Mayor John Southers says this was the best outcome. I, based on my experience, can assure our community uh, and the victims of this crime that the disposition reached today, in light of the state of the law, in Colorado without a death penalty 
this is the best possible disposition that could have taken place. New York City's congestion pricing plan has moved one step closer to becoming a reality as the plan has received federal approval. The Federal Highway Administration determining that an environmental study and review of the plan had no significant impacts, which clears the way for construction to begin on tolling. Drivers may have to start paying as much as $23 to enter Midtown Manhattan. That could start as early as April of 2024. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Dan Schwartzman. This is Bloomberg. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Rishad Salamat. We are here in our Hong Kong studios, and our guest is Tom Plum, portfolio manager of the Plum Balanced Fund. Tom, the way that the market is structured now, you could get a 10% correction in the benchmarks and just have a, a kind of continuation of the churn of money coming out of the, of the Fang Man stocks and into some of these uh, more value-oriented stocks. So, and that might be healthy for the market. Could you see that happening? Well, it, it's certainly possible, but you know, right now you have all that momentum, a mild correction last week in those stocks that have been showing the revenue growth. And in a time like this, we think that growth is still going to be considered very, very valuable because we're basically in a slower growth economy in general, and growth is harder to get. So well, how would you put the odds at a, a recession here? Rashad, I think that this has been one of the most predicted and anticipated recessions that I've seen. Uh, people are expecting it. They were expecting it last year. They're expecting it this year. I think that the odds have continued to go down because we have strong uh, personal savings. We have strong business investment in specific areas, uh, especially in the areas of uh, data and cyber and uh those uh, protections and things, uh, as well as productivity. And I think that that's going to continue. So it's it's more of a reallocation than it is basically a setback on investments. And meanwhile, uh, we're still continuing to see people uh, responding with uh, services, travel, uh, all that type of spending is going on. And cross-border has just basically uh, been picking up modestly, but picking up consistently since the pandemic has, in quote, been defeated. And we we continue to see those trends. So I I think the Fed wants the economy to slow down. They obviously don't want a recession. But uh, right now, we're, we're looking at moderating growth, 
but I, I think you haven't yet seen those building blocks for a true mm. recession. We can circle back to some of the main points. I just wanted to go out into left field a little bit. Um, we know that China's stumbling. And then we have like these events last week with the Wagner Group in Russia. I mean, what if Yevgeny Prigozhin would have taken his uh, uh, his tanks and such all the way up to Moscow? Uh, you know, is that the type of thing that, you know, we just don't really plan for? It's, it's really quite a... Um, uh, you know, something that you you kind of put on your list of fears, but, you know, you can't actually plan for it. Exactly, Brian. You think back, uh, if we would have had this interview a week ago, if someone would have predicted that, uh, they would have been probably laughed off of the radio. Well, and nobody but, uh, can predict black swan events, but, you know, they're out there. But in that particular case, would that have been uh, a major negative, or do you think that, um, you know, it might have served as a positive? I, I, I'm afraid that it would have been a negative, uh, primarily because when we've seen the balls of dictators in a lot of these countries, if you talk about Egypt or Libya or a number of other places, chaos is not necessarily positive for world economic growth. So even though there's one evil person possibly replaced by another evil person, uh, there's very little chance that it will be a stable and uh change that would be easily done and i think the ramifications of it you just don't know but it, it probably would not be good but i guess it just it remains to see uh remains to be seen just how long uh, putin actually lasts because we had guests on uh, yesterday suggesting that this could be the start of a uh, uh, well a, a huge kind of uh, set of I guess, emotive uh, backlash against him, and there could be further coups down uh, the line. Um, Tom, I want to get you back to the market, so I want to get you back to uh, the uh, the Fed. Um, it does seem from our latest poll that we did that the Fed's uh, message is finally getting through, that uh, there will be no interest rate cuts by the end of the year, even though some had, even earlier this month, thought that there would be. We, you know, uh, we agree with what the current polling is coming in. You know, the, the uh, there's always a question about trying to pick that moment when things actually change. And you, it's very dangerous. There's the old cliche about catching a falling knife. The Fed had given you one specific message over and over and over again. It's will change at some time in the future, but right now, that is the message. And so we've felt all along that we're cutting interest rates at this point or even in the next few months, next six months, are probably not in the cards. They are going to wait until they actually see physical daily results of their policies. And we know there's a lag, and so there's a fair chance they will wait and be overreacting when they do. But right now, there's very, very little chance that they're going to be cutting rates shortly. Uh, so, a black so, swan event, like you said, could do yeah. that. But until that, not very little chance. You started off by saying that you thought the trend of mega cap would continue into the second half of the year. Is there another unassailable trend uh, that you think investors could benefit from, uh, in your view? 
Well, you know, the, it's great when you line up a cyclical trend with a, a secular trend, and you're still seeing some real growth in the uh, financial uh, transaction processing things. Uh, the cross-border transactions is just amplifying the fact that we're moving to a digital uh, economy for monetary transactions. Uh, the World Cup, for example, the Women's World Cup down in Southeast Asia, uh, we think that has some potential to just amplify a trend that you've been seeing build and build and build since the pandemic. Cross-border transactions, people traveling around the world, it's been picking up everything we hear from the airlines is it's still very strong trend going for the immediate future. So does that translate to MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, companies like that? Exactly. We think, you know, when you think about MasterCard and Visa, they, they provide a lot of the backbone for a lot of the other financial tech companies, as well as what you see go through them directly. Uh, MasterCard right now, for example, is almost a third of the revenue is coming from uh, services like uh, data and cyber and things like that. But the cross-border area was the weak area that was taking the longest to snap back, and now it's coming back very strong. So overall view, you got the S&P 500 at 43.28 here. Uh, where do you think we finished the year? Just very short, 15 seconds. Oh, uh, we, we have a lot of difficulty predicting that, but I think it's going to be higher than it is now, and I think that we have a fair chance accelerating economy in the second half of the year, and that'll translate into a broadening of the stock market and a higher returns. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcast. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices, just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.